0: yeah should be working in their area, a a domain and not in the city of Jerusalem. Um, Over the last year, uh, there has been a number of changes in the composition and structure of the Jerusalem Board of the the most important of which is the uh, appointment of a new editor, uh, Professor Charles the from Brown University uh, and the introduction. Uh, Seventy-seven is cited the past tense. The chief contribution of that is a beautiful, wonderful, riveting uh, 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 photographic retrospective uh, of uh, three-dimensional uh, photographs undertaken by um, our great artist and curator, Jack and uh, it occupies most of this and we will soon, I promise you, returning a special monograph by IBS under his uh, editorship. The issue also includes the two uh, uh, contributions of the Balcoc uh, Annual Award for Outstanding Scholarship on Jerusalem. The first one is uh, an essay by Let's see. By, Nanda... by Nandi Abu Sa'dah on the Arab exhibition in Nanday Jerusalem, which was 1931 to 1934, it was the first major international exhibition of crafts products in Jerusalem, organized by the Arab uh, higher, uh, higher, higher committee and it's an essay by Hanin on the fate of the Jerusalem municipality after 48, which is the peak Jordanian station from 48 to is the subject of this essay. These two outstanding essays have been winning every year. Uh, two essays They are called the Daqqama. Prahim Daqqa was our former chairman of the board of uh, Jerusalem Quarterly. And this year, the Daqqama, the deadline of the Daqqaq Award is the 31st of October. We encourage people to make contributions on Jerusalem. And uh, the winner uh, will be published in a special issue religion and the miracles of the Holy Land but that's with from an anthropological perspective. Uh, he's also been uh, working lately on the social history of Bethlehem and has organized an online archival platform on Bethlehem which uh, I hope he will give us a time to visit It's very rich in items pertaining to the social history So, so, we'll start with Jake, and then I'm going to introduce Mr. Uh, John. Is that okay? Please, Please. go ahead. So I, use this you have one.
1: Yeah, one, one. We know this
0: one.
1: Right? <laughs> uh, thank you very much, Salim, for this extremely flattering introduction. Um, hello, everybody. Welcome. And uh, salam, jamiaan. Um, Shukran. Um, as Celine said, I'm going to say a few words about the issue number 78. Whatever, number yeah. 78, which is specifically on pilgrimage. I've spent the past i spent much of the past few days in Bethlehem uh, sitting in Manger Square, looking at people. Who flow in and out of the Church of the Antiquity on a daily basis. Um, and it's really fascinating to see the sheer diversity of people who visit the church. Of course, there's devout Christians from every corner of the world, but importantly, large numbers of local people, both Christians and Muslims, going to pray in the church. For Muslims, of course, and the Virgin Mary and her son are major figures in Islam. Uh, and then there are the secular visitors as well, many of them have come to take part um, uh, in volunteering programs in many of the towns, in the towns of many NGOs, so we might call this um, uh, solidarity programs. we might call them. And I met one particularly irate man, um, American man, on uh, Shariq uh, Mughalati, Street, which is this very narrow street which runs from the east of the church to Mughalati Shrine lined with souvenir shops uh, many of them really struggling for business today and this man was um, complaining vociferously about how the shopkeepers were hassling him trying to get him to buy um, souvenirs as well as offering him tours of the shrine um, and he lamented the way that these holy sites have been ruined by what he was calling modern commercialization and how nothing in his words nothing is sacred these days I urged him to reconsider. Um, I said to him that the Bethlehem economy has in fact for centuries, if not millennia, revolved around, been reliant upon selling souvenirs to, um, to visitors, to pilgrims. Um, I even began to quote from an 18th-century Italian writer named Giovanni Mariti, who visited Bethlehem in the 1760s. I've got the quote written down here. He wrote, I had barely advanced a few steps in the town when a local man accosted me and asked if I was a Frenchman, which is what they call all Europeans here. Upon hearing that I was, he told me to follow him to the Nativity Church and offered me along the way crosses and rosaries carved by local artisans. Now, I have no idea why, but at this point he gave me an extremely funny look the American man and made a hasty exit. I mean, what is strange about a random English guy on the streets of Bethlehem quoting from a 17th century Italian, sorry, 18th century Italian travel? What's strange about that? Um, I think we Scots are always misunderstood in our own time. That's what I would say. So I start with these rambling anecdotes because I think that actually, somewhere in there is the spirit of this special issue on pilgrimage that we've put together in Jerusalem Quarterly. Pilgrimage in Palestine is messy, uh, it's diverse, it's both ancient and modern, it's both uh, secular and spiritual, and above all, I would say it's deeply embedded in Palestinian society. So in the collection of articles and essays that we have on this issue, we've tried to look at pilgrimage not only, I guess, as as an isolated spiritual phenomenon, but also as an ever-present force within contemporary society that is constantly shaping and is shaped by the world around it. So just um, as one example of this, I'm writing a book about Bethlehem in the 19th century and the emigration explosion that took place there in that period. And as I've got deeper into the local conditions that enabled those, those migrations, that enabled Bethlehemites to travel all over the world, I found out that none of that would have been possible without pilgrimage. For centuries previously, Bethlehem's artisans and merchants were acquiring the necessary languages, skills, uh, contacts and the wealth as well, all through their interactions with pilgrims.
2: And what did they sell when they travelled the
1: world? Mother of Pearl and Olivewood, souvenirs, carved in Bethlehem. Essentially they were exporting pilgrimage, they were taking pilgrimage uh, to people's doorsteps all over the world. So pilgrimage, pilgrimage is always a journey um, it's a journey that is both spiritual and physical and one of the reasons why pilgrimage is so fascinating particularly anthropologists is because of the potential that it holds to transform society the potential of this double-sided journey this physical and spiritual journey in western anthropology uh, one of the seminal works i would say appeared in the late 1970s, Victor and Edith Turner, who wrote a book, specifically on Christian pilgrimage, uh, but they characterise pilgrimage famously as a liminoid experience. So it's a ritual that involves, I suppose, the temporary abandonment of the familiar structures, and it's kind of a testing ground for new social possibilities. Pilgrimage becomes a moment when people step outside of the rules of their everyday life, and new creative forces can emerge now I should mention that the Turner's theories have been heavily critiqued over the years but this this transcendental nature of pilgrimage always seems to remain central in the way that scholars come to pilgrimage the way that we are interested in pilgrimage both religious pilgrimage and secular pilgrimage Islamic jurisprudence for example, people as scholars of fiqh you know, have long explored the importance of pilgrimage as a transition to an otherworldly state where closer communion with God becomes possible. But as in most religious traditions, the Muslim pilgrimage is not a solitary enterprise. For pilgrims who make the Hajj to Mecca, the transition is marked, well, of course, by change into plain clothing, and it's accompanied with a series of communal rituals, all of which are aimed at the forging of a kind of universal community. Where distinctions of class and sect are, at least in theory, eroded. Now, I think when it comes to pilgrimage in Palestine, so often we have seen pilgrimage, we've thought about pilgrimage through the eyes of outsiders, particularly in Western writing. And in these accounts, Palestine and Palestinians often end up being objectified, fossilised, sometimes romanticised and often we wash over the ways in which Palestinians themselves engage with pilgrimage um, and so, while certainly not comprehensive I think the idea behind this issue of Jerusalem of course, it was to try to push back a little bit against that trend to examine from different angles how pilgrimage has always been in different contexts in different ways a driving force within Palestinian society. And once you start to do that, I think it becomes increasingly difficult to actually qualify who is an insider and who is an outsider. Um, of course, locally born Palestinians themselves are continually performing pilgrimage, both local and distant. At the sacred sites around Palestine, they rub shoulders with, um, with outsiders. Encounters occur on multiple levels, right? Sometimes these encounters are conflictual, sometimes they are creative, but they've always been fundamental to the Palestinian experience. Um, One story that comes into my mind, um, again, connected to this research that I'm doing with Bethlehem. So I'm, I'm writing a book focusing on how one family experienced the changes that were sweeping Bethlehem in the late 19th century. And I recently managed to track down in Mexico the descendants of a woman called Sarah, Sarah from Bethlehem and they told me this fascinating story about how Sarah, after her second marriage, her first husband died in the 1880s, after her second marriage in the 1890s, she was struggling to conceive a child, so she and her husband, who was named Ibrahim, um, visited the tomb of the patriarchs in Hebron and in Khalil. And there, people would um, write, scribble down notes on pieces of paper and hand it to the, the um, janitor, the porter, who would then descend the steps that led down into the tombs and deliver the note to the appropriate tomb according to who the note was addressed to. Um, so Salah's note was addressed to the matriarch, also called Sala, who is um, the wife of, of the patriarch Ibrahim. Um, <coughs> And, of course, the matriarch famously uh, he conceived her first son, Isaac Ishaq, in her 90s. Um, so she's a person who Palestinians have long um, prayed to and beseeched for, uh, for assistance when they're struggling to conceive, and Palestinian women are struggling to conceive. So Bethlehemite Salah, the modern-day Salah Abdul, promised that if she was best a son, she would um, name the son Ishaq very appropriately, given that her husband was called Ibrahim as well. Um, but also that she would grow her hair for 12 years, and her husband would also grow his hair for 12 years. Still trying to decipher the exact meaning of growing the hair for 12 years, or a specific figure. Um, but what, what I can tell you is that um, she, sure enough, conceived a son very soon after, I called him Ishaq, uh, who certainly is the brother-in-law of Isa who was is a very famous person Nationalist in the 1920s and 30s um, and I can confirm that I've seen a photo of Sarah dating from around 10 years later which does confirm that she indeed grew her hair um, from that period, of extremely long hair unfortunately I haven't seen a photo of her husband Ibrahim. Um, that would be quite a sight I think to see the man growing his hair for 12 years so, it's these encounters, I think, that really make the pilgrimage so interesting and the cultural productivity, I suppose, of those encounters, which always, I think, draws scholars, whether they're historians, anthropologists, theologians, to the subject. So, I'm just going to turn more specifically to this issue and pull out a few highlights from the issue. It's been a real pleasure and honour to be asked to contribute and to be involved with the making of this issue um i'd like to say a massive thanks to all of the team at jq have been fantastic in putting together particularly kevin paulie who is really um without kevin the whole thing would be unthinkable so thank you um and i found it really fascinating really informative to read the various articles and essays to to edit them to review them and look at these these encounters that i was talking about and how they play out in various um you know from various perspectives and various different uh, sites uh, around Palestine we have a really interesting article by
2: uh, Chris Wilson
1: an historian based at Cambridge who looks at uh, what he calls religious mania in Jerusalem and the way it was treated, diagnosed and discussed particularly by the British mandate officials in the British mandate period um, and what Chris is doing really is so by religious mania he means all forms of those mental conditions which are often brought on by or sometimes attempted to be cured by pilgrimage. So Pilgrim is very much there um, informing this discussion. And Chris is very good at laying out the context for that essential intellectual context, more specifically the medical uh, discussions which take place around this. And what I really liked about Chris' essay is that he refuses to sort of separate out uh, if you like the European approaches, be they European Jews or, or British mandate officials um, from local Palestinian understandings and discussions of these conditions. And I think in doing so yeah. he reminds us that pilgrimage is often a great lever uh, in Palestinian society. Going back to this idea of the way in which pilgrimage is fundamental to the socio-economic factors in Palestine, we have a really important article from Mustafa Abazi. I don't think Mustafa is here today, unfortunately. Um, but Mustafa is looking at the village and the family of Abu Hosh, uh, which really is the quintessential pilgrimage way station in Palestine, right? And certainly owes its very existence to the pilgrimage routes that have long run up from Jaffa to Jerusalem via, um, via Battlework uh, uh, Pass, essentially following today's Highway 1 routes. And Mustafa's article describes how the Abu Ghosh family really expertly positioned itself as a mediator of the Ottoman state and as a facilitator of those increasingly lucrative pilgrimage routes. One of the things I liked about Mustafa's article is the way in which he demonstrates that European pilgrims were often actually at the mercy of these local Palestinian actors, at least until the end of the 19th century when that relationship, that balance of power began to shift quite significantly. I've got a note here because I want to make sure I cover or at least mention everybody's contribution. So Thomas Hubbard has provided a fascinating, sort of flips of perspective uh, Reverend Thomas Hubbard looks very much from a theological perspective, particularly in the way in which Christians of various denominations, Orthodox, Catholic, Protestant, have understood pilgrimage to Jerusalem specifically as a sacrament. And this goes against the sort of... Standard doctrinal Christian view of the pilgrimage. Pilgrimage is not a sacrament in Christianity formally speaking, but according to Thomas's article, it's very much discussing what in interesting range of Christian pilgrimage writing as exactly that, as a really vital sacrament, which opens up, I think, scope for interesting comparison with Islam in particular. Um, Jerusalem is also the focus of a contribution from um, Michael Duckler, a historian scholar at the University of Exeter. This time, very much in the context of the city's contested status within the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. Mick's essay sort of walks us through very easily his methodology to comparing Jerusalem with other contested cities which have a significant religious status. And he concludes, well, he reaches, the, I guess, a quite sobering conclusion that there are certain features of Jerusalem's holy status um, that preclude the peaceful conclusion of the conflict. It's quite sober sobering article to read from that point of view. <laughs> um, and it precludes with it, I suppose, an end to the various forms of colonial control that have shaped and still shape Palestinian experience here in this city. Um, and Mick asserts that most important of all of these features, and the one that sets Jerusalem apart from other cities that we studied, is its centrality to the foundation of the world's three major monotheistic faiths. <clears throat> and as the article points out, pilgrimage is fundamental, is essential in shaping, in, in shaping and reinforcing that status that Jerusalem holds. And these articles that are specifically focused on Jerusalem are then supplemented, enriched by the inclusion of what we call a letter from Jerusalem. By George Hintillion, who's here with us today, talks us through the various ways in which pilgrimage has shaped Jerusalem over a much longer kind of time frame. So, a really important piece of, uh, kind of contextual piece there for the issue. So, Jerusalem obviously as a city occupies a central position in Palestine's sacral landscape. We all acknowledge that. But I also think it should be viewed as just one nodal point within a whole network of sacred sites which stretches across the entire region for that reason it's really useful to have here in this edition an article by Alex Shams uh, who concentrates on one particular site in Nablus, Khabib Yusuf, uh, Joseph, the, the tomb of Joseph and the way in which Khabib Yusuf has become associated among Palestinians with Zionist colonisation and Alex takes care to remind us over a sort of a longer view how these local vernacular attachments to these smaller pilgrimage sites, not Kalmat, had developed over centuries in a very shared, mixed way amongst Palestinians, Christians, Jews, and Muslims sharing the same pilgrimage sites before the intrusion, particularly, he, he, he highlights a particular Western biblical archaeology in the late 19th century. And that process then of appropriation um, continues and, and accelerates into the 20th and the 21st century centuries, most recently under Israeli occupation, just the point where local Mabulsees have attempted to desecrate her Yusuf on a number of occasions as a response to their perceptions of appropriation, of colonization, and the tomb being a symbol of that. <clears throat> um, but, of course, Palestinian interactions with um, with pilgrims, pilgrims coming from the outside, are not always really steeped in violence and tension. Um, century Palestinians have been been dependent on pilgrims arriving from from far afield for their economic livelihood and often this this leads to very creative very productive cultural processes so a great example here in the the, the issue of JQ is Marie Armel Beaulieu and her essay on Jerusalem Tattoos which talks us through this fascination, this post-Crusade fascination with um, the ancient Christian art of tattooing And in particular, between the 16th or 15th and 18th centuries, when there was a real revival um, of certain uh, Christian symbols, particularly Catholic symbols such as the Jerusalem Cross, which became, which is sort of inherited from the Crusader Kingdom and becomes
0: uh, a standard tattoo to have um, to have imprinted on your skin for for European Catholic pilgrims.
1: So, and, and then if you move into the more recent periods, art tattooing, as many of you will be aware, there are signs of its revival today in Jerusalem, which again shows us, you know, this is tapping into the global um, trends in fashion, um, and I wouldn't say the
2: revival, but the, the,
1: the widening of tattooing across many, in many um, places in the world, and that's here interacting in Jerusalem with these ancient traditions. So another example of how pilgrimage continually is shaping and reshaping cultural and economic. and then I should mention uh, as well as these written contributions we've got two fantastic photo essays in here one by Jean-Michel de Tarragon and one by Arpan Roy both on the theme of pilgrimage
2: so in Tarragon's essay we've guided through we've got a really
1: fascinating uh, selection of photos from the French École Biblique here in Jerusalem meanwhile Arpan Roy's essay looks at sacred trees and it's a really thought-provoking journey into some of the sites that were first discussed in Telfiq and um, famous essay, Mohammedan Saints and Sanctuaries. So what, what, um, what Alpan is doing is both updating our sort of knowledge of what has happened to those, those trees, which, which Anand studied, um, but also inviting us, I think, to rethink their meanings to Palestinians, how that, those meanings have changed over time. And the, what these photos do is very dazzling Photographic essays, and they really bring to life for us the same themes that are being discussed in many of the written contributions. So we find in the photos spiritual rapture, we find communal ritual, we find um, the the materiality of embodied uh, the embodied experience of pilgrimage. We find local agency versus foreign appropriation. Above all we find the extent to which pilgrimage is embedded in Palestinian life and the very Palestinian landscape. And just finally, uh, I should mention that we have uh, a fantastic article in here by Chloe Baldwich, which isn't on the theme of pilgrimage, but looks instead at the murky world of spies in the late Ottoman period. I really recommend reading this article. She brilliantly unravels this, uh, this mystery, this long-standing mystery of the Jerusalem-based Ottoman intelligence officer Aziz Bey. Um, and, and in doing so, Chloe really... Very subtle way is giving us an, a great example of how the Arab world has had to come to terms with its Ottoman past. How different thinkers, different actors have embraced, negated, um, sometimes sort of struggled with that Ottoman past. So that's a kind of a sweeping overview of the issue. There are—it's it's by no means exhaustive or comprehensive. There are many huge gaps in the issue as well. Um one of the things that there's probably a lack of is Arab and specifically Islamic capital is to Jerusalem as a city, I would say, which is why we have Nazis with us today He's going to say a few words on that I think on that specific theme. Thank you. Thank you. And before yeah, before I head over to Nashville I should also mention that we have um, a wonderful book review in the issue as well by Helga who's with us here today. Helga, Bonneton. Helga Bonneton, is, um, us uh, Helga Boggarton who has provided us with uh, a very lengthy review, really in-depth review of Vincent Monnier's book Ordinary Jerusalem which traces, which really looks at municipal life and the kind of, the, the embrace of civic duty, civic responsibility amongst Jerusalem right in the very beginning of the 20th
0: So that's it from me, I think I'm going to hand over to Nazmi. Thank you. Um, Thank you very much. Thank you, Jacob. for the exile rest of the Khalits.
3: You can't hear me without carrying the microphone. Um, thank you for coming. True. Sure. so the uh, I'm pilgrimage has influenced the uh, city of Jerusalem. He's absolutely right. But I think um, pilgrimage has dictated a lot of cultural landscape of the whole country of Palestine. A lot of roots, civil as well as religious services were created along the pilgrimage routes all over Palestine. Uh, even in uh, uh, in early Byzantine period, series of monasteries were created on every spot, related in one way or another, truly or legendary, uh, to Jesus Christ. Monasteries were created, and hospices were created to accommodate the flow of pilgrimage coming from all over Europe as well as from the Orient. <clears throat> Unfortunately, we know until now very little about it. We know relatively uh, uh, good uh, information about European pilgrimage to the Holy Land because we got tens of accounts of, uh, of travelers who wrote down the experience, spiritual as uh, as well as material experience in Palestine. Uh, The oldest account that we have is the pilgrim from Bordeaux, the French city, who arrived in Palestine in 333, which is approximately directly after tolerating Christianity as a religion in the Roman Empire in the period of Constantine, I mean. So in this period, the, uh, uh, the infrastructure of pilgrimage began to grow up rapidly. I can trace hundreds of monasteries and hospices, were built in the three centuries later, in the fourth, fifth, sixth century, uh, uh, all over the, the country. A lot of roads and truths were paved for the service of, of uh, pilgrimage. But this is not my theme today. I was supposed to talk about Arabic and Islamic pilgrimage. In the uh, uh, I, early, I said also Arabic, uh, I meant mainly Oriental. Unfortunately, we have very little Oriental Christian literature about buildings. There are some, some accounts of Armenians coming to the Holy Land, but the rest of Oriental churches, we have rarely anything about them. Until now, this is a subject not well researched too. I suppose that uh, 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 Christian communities, Arab Christian communities from Palmera and the area of the uh, of the Arab Desert, who were one of the early Christian communities in the world, were also arriving to the Holy Land for pilgrimage but they left no writings behind them, so we know nothing about them. Uh, the East, Egyptian, Ethiopians, uh, maybe the Surianis, uh, we have some literature about the Surianis, but the rest of the Christian communities, we rarely got any uh, 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 small pieces of information about their pilgrimage. Of course, uh, with the peak of Islam and the control of Palestine by the Muslims, uh, we have a new traditions of the, of the I if you think about um, the construction of the Dome of Rock as a pilgrimage icon, not only as uh, commemorating the traditional Islamic say about why it was created, but alone in its sense was an, a magnetic of pilgrimage of Muslims to the country. Most of the Muslim uh, pilgrimage accounts uh, 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 visiting Jerusalem, they begin with the Dome of the Rock. You know, uh, they say, well Aqsa well, well, uh, but mostly they meant the Dome of the Rock, attracted their, their, their uh, uh, attention. I, I think Muslims uh, uh, accumulated on the Jewish Christian traditions uh, in the Holy Land, adding to it the new dimensions, but adding also so many holy sites to to these traditions. Amazingly, uh, uh, one uh, Muslim community uh, was very tightly related to Jerusalem, uh, which is the Moorabbis, North Africans and uh, the Russian Muslims. Uh, I have the name of more than 30 accounts of ri'ya, of pilgrimage uh, account to Palestine written by North Africans, which is the, rest, the richest among the Muslim com- communities at all. Uh, it was, at least we have accounts before the Crusaders, but uh, it, it accelerated actually after the Crusaders, after the Crusader period. Another phenomenon which was also a very important phenomenon in the Islamic literature, which was the adab <laughs> al-fada'il, the merits literature, the merits of Jerusalem literature. And Jerusalem in this regard uh, meant actually the whole Palestine because uh, the, uh, the, the Islamic terminology for the earth uh, The most, the Aqsa Mosque, and the land around it, which is a blessed land, understood by a lot of Muslim faqis uh, uh, as the whole Palestine. Therefore, the pilgrimage was so deeply related uh, 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 to this Ard al Mubarakah. Another phenomenon that I want to to draw your attention to is the pilgrimage of Sufis, Sufis. Um, we, uh, we don't have much information how, about Sufi travels to Palestine in early periods, but we have a very rich uh, Sufi accounts in the Ottoman period. Uh, the most famous one is Abdel al Nabulsi, al Luqaimi, Al-Qiyani. We have very large series of, of, uh, of Sufis who wrote their accounts, visiting the different shrines in Palestine, traveling from one maqam to another, uh, joining the different Sufi movements in the country, spending in the shadow of this shrine and that shrine a few days, uh, including, of course, the major two Islamic shrines, which are the al-Haram al-Ibrahimi in Hebron and al-Aqsa Mosque in Jerusalem. But also, Uh, 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 Shrines like in Nabi Musa were a major uh, visitation sites uh, uh, and uh, the accounts that the number of maqams uh, uh, in the country um, could be counted more than 2,000 maqams Uh, uh, not all of them survived until nowadays but uh, in Shukri Arraf recent uh, uh, counting of maqams he exceeded 1,000 maqams that still uh, exist. It doesn't mean that all of them are active maqams, some of them are just ruins, some of them are just a small uh, qubba, but uh, very rich cultural landscape in in this regard. Uh, Especially those uh, maqams were the target of Sufi uh, uh, visitation. Now, of course, uh, uh, as you mentioned, Norris, uh, the the Ihram from the Aqsa Mosque, changing the clothes before pilgrimage, uh, which is called Ihram, uh, uh, was a habit of a lot of Muslims to do it in Jerusalem and then to go directly to to Mecca. Others who are especially from other parts of the world we're visiting Jerusalem after the Hajj to Mecca, which is under the uh, 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 the motto Hajjatak." You know, God, I wish that God will enable you to visit uh, uh, Jerusalem after your pilgrimage. Bil- um, the uh, accounts of uh, of Muslims uh, are, can be classified uh, of uh, two categories. We have accounts with, with uh, 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 I would say, scientific bases, fi talab al where uh, a Muslim will leave his city down in, in Iran or in Pakistan or uh, or in uh, uh, civil. And comes to the pilgrimage, but during this uh, way, he visits so many schools of learning, Fiqh uh, schools, literature schools, etc. So the fi Talab al we have maybe the oldest one, is from Ibn al-Arabi al-Mu'afir al who spent three years of his life learning in Jerusalem, just a few years before Jerusalem fall. Uh, in the hands of the procedures. Uh, I think something like uh, uh, 1074 he was in in Jerusalem. And maybe this is the oldest account that we have of And uh, his purpose was uh, really to go to Mecca. But this travel account, uh, he spent so many years of his life traveling from one uh, uh, knowledge city, or knowledgeable city, to another, to learn from others, and sometimes to lecture, until he reaches Mecca, and he did the same when he returned. And this is a model of so many of Muslims built, especially from uh, 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 the intellectuals, uh, intellectual Muslims. Uh, Again, uh, The Hajj in itself, in in Islam, was a responsibility of the central government, regardless whether it's in Baghdad or Damascus or in Cairo. And it's part was part of the legitimacy of the regime. If the caliph or the sultan cannot secure the damage, he loses his credibility and his uh, 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 legitimacy as a ruler; therefore, securing the road, the routes of <coughs> of Hajj were part of the political uh, consultation of the Islamic uh, Islamic regime. And even in um, later periods, we have uh, the Mahmal uh, al-Hajj, which is um, actually uh, uh, the official caravan. Of the central government uh, uh, carrying the, uh, uh, the different um, kiswa, how can you say kiswa?
2: Cover,
3: cover of, of tombs and holy shrines. So if you go now to Al Khalil, to the Haram Al Ibrahimi, you will see the green cover of the tombs, which was actually uh, uh, the responsibility of the Sultan of Cairo at least since the Ayyubid period, to send every year the cover of these tombs to, uh, to Hebron, as well as to so many other shrines all over the country. And uh, uh, he represents uh, through that not only his belief, not only his, representative, uh, his uh, responsibility, but also it is a showcase for pilgrimage. Pilgrims will understand that the Sultan is doing his 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 duties. So I'm trying to close up uh, 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 by saying that there are so many phenomena in the cultural landscape of Palestine that cannot be researched uh, and studied uh, deeply without understanding the effect of pilgrimage, both Jewish, Christian and Muslim pilgrimage uh, uh, in the country. Thank you very much. we now in the discussion for the audience. I just want to mention that uh, you, uh, two, two
0: issues. So first is the uh, amount of Coptic literature about the from Egypt, the Christian Coptic population, which we don't really know enough. In- And you're
3: Uh, yes, please. I have a very short,
0: informative question to you, uh, Nurse. Uh, you were mentioning that pilgrims from Europe uh, came to Jerusalem by by a Now I remember I have an old Baker which describes the pilgrimage route, and they say that. the pilgrims coming by Nabi, Musa, uh, Nabi Samuel, sorry, by Nabi Samuel and the first idea, the first picture of Jerusalem from Nabi Samuel, so
3: informative question, what is, what is were that? those two roots interchangeable or what was it? I am sorry. no? <laughs> I, think I will try after that. All I
1: can say, it's a shame you don't have Mustafa Abbas in this, he wrote the article. Um, I'm by no means an expert on those routes through Wadi uh, right Bat, which is what um, Mustafa was talking about. Um, but where were those accounts dating from? Sorry. Well, the letter
3: I have is from
1: 1898,
3: something like this. It's a very old one. Yeah, even earlier the the book was written. Maybe this is uh, a second or something. Uh, look, um, the easiest way to come to Jerusalem was not through a bush, for, for sure. It was Beit'ur and then El Jeep in Madison and then. That's true, absolutely true. But this route was also under control of Abu hosh That's correct. Okay. Uh, Abu hosh was a, 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 a throne village. al actually. Qariyat uh, was a throne village. Since the 18th century, or 18th century, and it was commissioned. The family of Ghosh, was commissioned by the Ottoman government to guard the uh, the, the the pilgrimage uh, from Jaffa to Jerusalem. And they have the maaloun. Everybody has to pay khafar, uh, khafar. Uh, khafar. It's it's it was a business and. On the eastern hills, from Jerusalem to Jericho, were Areeqat family doing the same job. So nobody could pass in any place without (laughs) paying.
0: light on uh, Jewish pilgrimage, especially in the Middle Ages. Because I think now it has become important to understand
3: this uh, background about Jewish connections to, to Islam, given what we see nowadays. And uh, my second question is more a point of interest. Uh, after a brief visit to the north in uh, the past two in last week, Druze uh, pilgrimage, because I also noticed there was like. we want to call it slash tourism uh, to this account. So if there's any information on these two points, it would be grateful. Sir, do you want to answer? Mm. I think you have some <laughs> <clear> more information. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, in the Jewish tradition, every Jew has made pilgrimage to Jerusalem twice a year not in the life, twice a year. Uh, but the number of Jews, at least in, uh, in the recorded recorded accounts, uh, I would say from Byzantine, or uh, late Roman period until today, was very marginal. The number of people, uh, of Jews, were very marginal and um, to compare with other uh, religions. Uh, uh, there are of pilgrimage accounts of, uh, of Jews who uh, traveled to Palestine, especially from Hispania, from Andalus, for, uh, for, uh, to Palestine. We, 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 we know this literature. Um, I would say uh, uh, th- three major sites of Judaism uh, were uh, addressed for pilgrimage Jerusalem, Qubbat uh, Rahel, Bethlehem, Rachel II. And the matriarchal graves in Khalil.
2: Uh,
3: other um, holy sites were mostly created by the Muslims on biblical traditions and became part of the Jewish traditions later, in later period. Muslims Yeah. <laughs> Very creative. Uh, uh, so they revived a lot of, uh, uh, of biblical traditions. Associated to uh, holy senates or to prophets and created uh, 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 mazarat and maqamat uh, for them. And so Jews began to adapt part of these traditions in their uh, own beliefs and they beca- began to, ma- to make their visit- visitation to it. Um, I cannot ignore the fact that uh, they were part of the pilgrimage landscape of Palestine. But their number was very, very limited. I have no idea about the truces. But I, do, I, I think that there are no, there is no religion without pilgrimage. In every religion, there is a form of pilgrimage. Uh,
0: I just want to add. Uh, there's a book by Isabella Wharton called "Next Selling uh, Jerusalem," which talks about the Jewish pilgrimage and virtual uh, pilgrimage. And the greatest things about the second part of the twentieth century, and also the earlier part, is the huge mushrooming of virtual pilgrimage through the creation of uh, uh, university exhibits, Hollywood type uh, scenes, and also studio graphics views of the Holy Land so where you can visit Jerusalem. This is mostly for Christian, but also for Jews. Visit Jerusalem and the Holy Land without leaving your home. And what, of the most interesting part of it is that in the Jewish tradition, Hashemah uh, Yerushalayim, which is an incantation used by Jews, is also incanted by Jews who live in Jerusalem. So it's a virtual visit, not only here but in an incantation of being in Jerusalem
2: even when you are inside it. And I found this very uh, surprising, I wasn't aware of this. That, uh, I think uh, I, I may add a, a, a to what you said concerning the, the Jewish demography in Palestine, 18th and 19th century, that they were about two percent of the population for since in the beginning of the 19th century. and They grew up to four, five percent until 1880. Now, I say that in order to say uh, to add that the Druze community in Palestine, mainly in the Galilee, were even smaller. I mean, less than one percent of the population most of the time. And most of the Druze, they had started uh, uh, moving to the Galilee during Fafeddin al-Mani era, uh, uh, sorry, uh, in the 17th century. But then, uh, that that was the rise of the uh, Truth community in the Galilee, but when Dahir Omar came to power, uh, he crushed them uh, and, and pushed them back to Lebanon, Uh, and they continued in the 18th, 19th century as a small community. I'm, I'm not aware uh, about a uh, pilgrimage or traveler box of truth. Sí, sí. uh,
3: I mean, Nabi
2: Shulayim is the only, the only shrine famous for the truth in, in the Galilee, but I, I, mean, I, I, sí, didn't read, I didn't sí, find uh, yeah. any, any books of truth of Druze uh, into uh, the Galilee, and yeah, they, they had
3: nothing the, to do with the rest of Palestine, and they
2: were, mainly in the north, mainly in the right. Galilee. Classified and unclassified accounts between 1800 and 1830, where there is a lot of rich information about commerce, uh, what material they used to get from different countries uh, in the area, what materials they I think we have to congratulate. I mean,
0: these different issues, but this is just the beginning of to tap other sources about how the country functions. This is a great theme for a special issue. The two, the two kinds. One of the great candidates to edit this will be uh, the (laughs) people, maybe in competition. There was competition and boycotts between groups, between
2: cops. I mean they were able to channel